Well, good afternoon. It's good to see you all here. Thanks, John. Uh, We are going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 12, in just a moment. First of all, let me welcome all of our D-Now students to the service. Here, y'all had a great weekend. Yeah? It was a good time, both uh, the time you had in homes and also your worship last night I heard was really great, and so I'm excited about that. I'm excited to hear more. Um, I think one of the most exciting things that I heard was that we actually had a record number of 7th and 8th graders uh, who were at D-Now, and that's a big thing for us as a church. So um, for the 7th and 8th graders who showed up and got involved, thank you for stepping up, and, uh, and it excites me about the future of not just our student ministry, but the future of the church, because the next generation of leaders for this church are sitting right up here in gray t-shirts, and so super excited about that. Um, and so welcome to the service, glad you're here, hopefully I'll be able to keep you awake, I'll do my best, I'm sure you guys are tired, uh, keep your eye on John Grubb especially. So we are going to, we're going to wrap up chapter 12 in Acts and then we're going to start chapter 13, that's where we are in the sermon series, okay, and so, so far um, what has happened is this, we've seen a shift in the book of Acts from what's happening in Jerusalem through the leadership of Peter to now what's happening in Antioch through now what's going to be the leadership of Paul. Now, he's not going by Paul yet, still going by Saul, and in just a a few chapters, he's going to transform his name to Paul, and we're going to know him as the author of most of your New Testament books, okay? So Saul, Paul, is fresh on the scene. And uh, we're going to start in verse 24 of chapter 12, finish up chapter 12, and then move into chapter 13. And so where we left off was this, that at the beginning of chapter 12, the church is, again, exploding. It has gone beyond the geographic barriers of Jerusalem. It has moved beyond the ethnical barriers of the Jews. Now, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord is being saved, regardless of your skin color, your socioeconomic status, your language, your culture, your background, your rap sheet. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord is being saved. That's a big deal. And so Herod, in chapter 12, begins by saying that Herod lays violent hands on the church. And he goes after James. He goes after Peter. And so that's what chapter 12 is about. And chapter 12, two weeks ago, we ended with Herod's death. God struck him down dead as he stood in a position of authority before the people and placed himself in the place of God as a deity for the people, and God strikes him down dead. And so we're going to pick up verse 24 with the word but, meaning despite all of that, despite Herod's best attempt to kill the church, verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Reoccurring theme in the book of Acts, right? Despite the fact that the church is being led by um, guys who don't know what they're doing, right? Sinners saved by grace, not a theological background between them, right? No church programming. Uh, They're basically just kind of shooting from the hip, following the lead of the Holy Spirit, despite the fact uh, that the church is being led by guys who don't know what they're doing, right? Despite the fact that the, the Roman authorities are trying to stamp out the church, the word of God continues to multiply and increase. And that's a big thing, right? Because ultimately, the book of Acts is not about what the church is doing. It's not about what the apostles are doing. The book of Acts is about what God is doing, right? So the book of Acts is more appropriately titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, what we want to do today is we want to pick up on uh, where we left off with the word of God is increasing and multiplying. Now I have a question for us to think about. 
So first of all, why did Luke, he's the author here, why did he say the word of God is multiplying and increasing? Why didn't he say the church is increasing or multiplying or the number of Christians is increasing and multiplying? Why did he simply say the word of God is increasing and multiplying? Now, I was talking with somebody after the last service, somebody who's new to our church, and they said, hey, tell me a little bit about Solid Rock. What, what are your values? What's important to you guys as a church? And I, this is where I typically start. We have a high view of Scripture, the Word of God. And so because we have a high view of Scripture, it gives us a, a high view of God, right? And so when we go to uh, later writings in the New Testament, oftentimes we get a better explanation of what's happening in real time in the book of Acts. And this probably happens in your life. So like you're in the middle of a moment or an experience that's hard or exciting and and you don't fully grasp what's happening in that moment. It's only later on in what we call hindsight we look back and we're able to see, oh, God was doing something. In the moment it was difficult, but God was shaping me or transforming me or redirecting my path, right? And so in the moment we don't fully know what's going on. So so as Luke writes this, we're going to get some insight later on in the New Testament about what's actually happening here in the story in Antioch. And Romans 10 is a great place to turn to get an explanation of what I think Luke is trying to get at here when he says the word of God was increasing and multiplying. So in Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul's writing years later explaining how this works. And in verse 13, he starts with this great promise. And he says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we've already talked about That's good news, right? So guys like me can be saved. Guys that didn't grow up in church. I wasn't super religious, right? I had sin in my life. Guys like me can be saved if I will call out on the name of the Lord. That's good news, right? Everyone who calls out on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what's happening here in Antioch. It was blowing these guys away. But then if we keep reading in verse 14, the Apostle Paul begins to lay out rhetorical questions to explain for us how this happens. So the first thing he says is this, well, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, that makes sense, right? How are you going to believe in someone that you never heard about? And so he says, well, how are they going to believe in, or how are they going to call out to someone in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And then he takes it a step further, and he says what? He says, and how are they going to hear without someone preaching? Now, the idea of preaching here is not necessarily what I'm doing right now, okay? It's the idea of making a proclamation, opening your mouth and saying something, okay? And so, right, how are they going to hear unless somebody opens their mouth and says something? And how are they going to preach or proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so what Paul is getting at in Romans 10 is that it is a beautiful thing when God's people go and share with words this good news about Jesus. So it's not enough for me to just be nice to you, right? It's not enough for me to just serve you sacrificially. I should do that in Christ, but at some point, right, if I'm going to share the good news with you, I've got to open my mouth and proclaim something. I've got to share with you that, that all that God has required of you has already been done. That's pretty good news, right? Everything that it takes to earn God's favor has already been done. That chapter is closed. Jesus did it. He earned God's favor for you. 
So by faith and trust in Christ, God's already pleased with you. Holy cow, could there be better news? Right? In a, in a, in a culture, in a life where we spend a lot of effort and time trying to earn approval of parents, of teachers, of bosses, of friends, of spouses, of, right? We know what it means to work hard to earn favor, and God says, listen, the hard work's already been done in Christ. And when we proclaim that, right, God says, you have beautiful feet when you take that good news to somebody. And here's the thing, how are they going to call on somebody they never believed, and how are they going to believe unless they hear, and how are they going to hear, church, unless you say something? You have to be the, the spokesperson, the proclaimer on behalf of God. And then in verse 16, we're reminded that we're surrounded by a world that hasn't heard the gospel yet. I mean, we need to know that here in North Texas where we assume everybody goes to church and everybody's heard about Jesus. It's not, they haven't. Verse 16, Romans 10 says this, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So we work with, we go to school with, we live in neighborhoods with people who do not know the good news of Jesus. They haven't heard it. Maybe they've heard it, but they haven't heard it. Maybe they've never even heard it at all. And how are they going to hear unless those who know Jesus have beautiful feet and take that good news to them? And then he ends with this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the what? Word of Christ. And so what Luke is getting at is the same thing Paul is getting at here. Yes, the church was growing. Yes, the number of Christians was exploding. But the main thing he wants us to understand is what, was the, what the catalyst was for this is that the word, the proclamation of the gospel was going out. That was causing those things to happen. So like, we've got to understand this thing. On one hand, there's absolutely nothing we can do to change anyone's life, right? I mean, you can buy somebody lunch, and you can fix their momentary situation, but there's not a person in this room who can change eternity for yourself or anyone else. Only God can do that, right? But what's baffling is that he chooses to do that through us, right? That, that should blow our minds, that God literally wants to impact another human being's eternal destination through you. Like, that's an, that's an honorable, weighty thing God has invited you to. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to proclaim the good news of Jesus. You need to open up your mouth and speak, proclaim Christ. And so I think Luke wants us to understand why the church is exploding. It's not because these guys knew what they were doing. Not a one of them had been to seminary. Not a one of them had been to a training seminar or a conference on how to run an, an effective ministry. No marketing strategies, no social media, no banners out by the street. How did it happen? Simply and purely by word of mouth. And not just any word, right? right? You don't, you don't, my opinions won't give you life, right? My, my suggestions won't get you anywhere. What we need to hear is the truth of the gospel. And so Luke wants us to know that despite the fact that Herod had laid violent hands on the church, the word of God was continuing to increase and multiply. Therefore, the church was exploding. Because if these guys ever quit proclaiming that good news, guess what would have happened to the church? And it would have had nothing to do with Herod or persecution. The church would have imploded 
folded in on itself and died away. So from here in verse 25, we read, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and when they had completed their service, they brought with them, or they bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So this is going to kind of help set the scene for what's happening here. So just real quickly, so things explode in Antioch. Barnabas is there, and quickly he realizes, I'm going to need some help. So he calls for Saul. Saul comes in to Antioch and helps Barnabas, and for a year, they spent time teaching, discipling, and mentoring the church, the Christians who were there, okay? Mentoring them. Then what happens is a famine hits Jerusalem, so the Christians there in Antioch sacrificially begin to gather up their stuff and gather up their money, and they collected an offering, and they send it with Barnabas and Paul up to Jerusalem to meet the needs of Christians they'd never met before. So Paul and Barnabas take this offering, and they say, hey, this is from the Christians down in Antioch. Really? Those brand new Christians down there gave? Like, Yeah, here it is. And so Saul and Barnabas return with John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, return back to Antioch. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. So once Saul and Barnabas and now John Mark are back, back in Antioch, verse 1 of chapter 13. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. So let's hit pause. We already knew that there were prophets and teachers there because Barnabas and Saul were there, right? We knew that they had some pretty top-notch leaders helping teach and mentor the young Christians there. So we're already expecting to to hear about Barnabas and Saul. But what I want to point out is this. There are new names on the list, okay? This church isn't very old. There are new names on the list. So... There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, expected to hear his name, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, the member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and, of course, Saul. So now what's happening in the church is not only are Barnabas and Saul there, but after discipling these Christians for a year, new leadership is beginning to emerge. And what we're going to see in just a minute is this is a a beautiful illustration of how God has created the church to work. And one of the the misconceptions that I've witnessed in in my time uh, in in different churches is this, that oftentimes when a leader leaves a church, like a pastor steps down and resigns, or, or a youth minister steps down and resigns, or a music minister steps down, the assumption is we've got to go outside the church and hire somebody to come in and lead us. Now, occasionally that needs to happen, right? That happened originally with Antioch. Barnabas went and got Saul and brought him in. But God's design is such that actually leadership would emerge from among the people who are actually there. That's the way God's designed the church to work. It's why seven out of the last eight staff hires here at Solid Rock are people who are already here at our church. Brian Lamb was at one point a student in our church. There's an example He didn't come to student ministry very often because I was the youth minister at the time. He didn't like me. That's okay. God changed his heart. And he's here today on staff, one of our pastors. But you see how that works? That's how God's designed the church to work. And we're beginning to see glimpses of that in Antioch. And so in just a minute, guess what? God's going to come to Saul and Barnabas, the original leaders, and say, hey, I've got something else for you guys to do. I've established leadership in this church to continue teaching and shepherding and preaching for this congregation. In Ephesians 
chapter 4, we get, again, a beautiful description of how this is supposed to work. And so in Ephesians 4, the chapter begins. Of course, Paul is writing. And he, he talks to the church about maintaining their unity. He says, this unity, this familial bond you have in Christ you shouldn't take that for granted. Jesus died that you would have that. And your job is not to create unity, but be eager to maintain it, right? And so what he means by that is that, that we would be people who are sensitive to division and, and offense. And when we sense that, that there's division creeping in, we go after it in humility and gentleness, right? Eager to maintain the unity. There's a good message in there for high school students, Right? Because division can, can set in so easily. Misinterpret something. Read a post. Read a comment. Right? The way somebody looks at you. The way somebody forgot to invite you. And quickly, if we're not careful, division can step in. Did you know that we struggle as adults with that too? Yeah, we're just better at hiding it. We're just better at pretending. And so what the Word of God tells us is that when there's division in the church, it's not enough just to go to a different service or to sit on opposite sides of the room. We should press in where there's division and be eager to maintain that unity as a church, and we all as Christians bear that responsibility, okay? Then after uh, Paul says that in Ephesians 4, in verse 11, he talks about how God's given gifts to the church, and look at what he says. Verse 11, and he, being Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He lists leadership roles in the church, doesn't he? He says, Jesus gives these roles to the church, Another misconception is that, oh, those are the guys who are supposed to be doing ministry. The rest of us, we sit back and applaud, we pay the bill, and we let those guys and those ladies do the ministry. But if we keep reading, these leaders were given to the church to do something to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Oh, wait a second. Hold the phone. Who are the saints? That's every Christian. Every believer in the church, whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or 30 minutes, whether you're 60 or 16, you've been called to the mission of ministry in the church. Those who are leaders are simply called to equip you. That's what we saw happening in Antioch. Saul and Barnabas didn't get together to do the ministry. They got together to equip the saints to do ministry. And now we're seeing leaders emerge. New prophets, new teachers, new evangelists are emerging to shepherd the people of God. If you continue reading in Ephesians 4, it's a beautiful picture of what maturity looks like as a church. He writes in verse 13, this should take place until... We all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Now listen to this phrase, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Who's already there? Not one of us. Guess what? We're not done growing as a church. We are not done growing until we reach the measure of the fullness of the stature of Jesus. Anybody? Anybody there? No, so what does that mean? Every person in this room is still growing. He's going to go on to talk about how when we first become Christians, we're a lot like children, like toddlers, just so easily tossed about. He says this, he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Okay, that means 
any latest and greatest philosophical or theological idea that comes across the social media radar. You go, oh, that's a good idea. I want to identify with that, or I want to latch onto that. And then it fizzles out in a few months, and another one comes across. You go, I want to latch onto this, and I want to make this my cause. And then that one fizzles out, and, right? H- hashtags are pretty short-lived, aren't they? Most of the time. What is, what's happening there are these quick movements that rise up, and then they dissolve. Any movement that is worth your time and your effort, right, doesn't need a hashtag, and it's not here today and gone tomorrow. And what he's saying is that if we stay immature in our faith, guess what? We'll just run from hashtag to hashtag, from cause to cause, tossed about like little toddlers out in the ocean. The waves just throwing us back and forth. The only way we combat that is to what? To grow in maturity as a church. Then he goes on to say, not only every wind of doctrine, every human cunning, and every craftiness and deceitful scheme. But instead of that, rather than that, let's do this. Let's speak the truth in love. And if we'll do that, we're to grow up in every way into him who is ahead into Christ. From whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That's a description of our relationship with one another in Christ. The same way that that your body is intimately woven together, bones and ligaments and muscles all doing their thing, closely working together but distinct in function. That's how we're supposed to work as the body of Christ. And then he ends with this. When this all happen, well, what's going to happen? We'll grow in maturity in Christ. We'll no longer be tossed about. We'll be held together like, 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 the, like the human body with just this tightness. When each part is working properly. That's what makes the body grow that it would build itself up in love. Now think about that. It doesn't matter how much the elders of this church love Jesus and how much they sacrifice for him. The elders of this church cannot alone cause this church to grow. The staff, doesn't matter how much they love Jesus, how faithful they are, how many hours they put in. They cannot cause alone, on their own, this church to grow. This church will not grow until every member is doing their work, submitting their lives to the mission of Jesus. Every one of us. And, but here's the exciting thing. When we do that, guess what happens to the church? The church grows from sapling to mature tree and begins to produce fruit. Now, I think that's what we're reading about in Antioch. That's what, that's what Luke is getting at here. Started off brand new church, brand new Christians. Saul and Barnabas mentored, discipled, and taught for a year. Now new leadership is emerging, and guess what's going to happen next? God is going to call missionaries out of that church to take this good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Who's they? The whole church. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I think one of the mistakes that we make with this story and oftentimes in the church is that this is a story about missionaries. The fact that Barnabas and Saul were sent out, that's the fruit of the story. That's the byproduct of what's really going on here in Antioch. 
God is moving in the church of Antioch, taking brand new Christians, growing them in maturity, deepening their knowledge of who Jesus is, deepening the understanding of the gospel truth. And what's happening is what? They're growing closer to one another and they're maturing and becoming more like Christ and fruit is beginning to come out. And now what is God saying? Hey, you don't need Barnabas and Saul anymore. I've got a new work for them. I've set them apart for a different work. But can we keep in mind, church, that only two went? The whole rest of the church stayed. Right? We're not all called to go live in a hut in Africa or to move to Butuan in the Philippines. Some of us are. Right? Some of us are. I believe that. Even among our young people here, at just the right moment, at a very specific time, God is going to call some of you potentially to sell and to leave everything here in the comfort of the United States and to live this mission in a foreign country, potentially in a third world country, a place where it's dangerous, a place where you don't have much materially speaking. And you'll willingly do that because you'll have everything you need in Christ and you'll go, right? But that was just two of them. Everybody else stayed and continued to live the mission in Antioch. And so for the, vast, for the rest of us, Right? We've got a mission to live out, right here, right now. Let me just talk quite simply about how practical this mission is and, and how every person in this room um, has been called to some very practical and, and real areas of mission in your life. Let's start with family, okay? Family. First and foremost, you have been called to live out the mission for Jesus among your own family, okay? Now, I know our families all look different. Some of you, mom and dad, have been together and uh, have a fantastic marriage. Others of us, mixed homes, split homes, divorced homes, no homes, right? So different stories here, but whatever your family situation is, you're called to live out that mission. For me, it's starting first with my marriage. Wait a second, I thought your wife was a Christian. She is. And God has called me to lay my life down for her sacrificially every day and to lead her to Jesus. I'm horrible at it, by the way. Okay? I'm not great at it. By, by grace, God still allows me to be her husband, though I fail at that mission often. It is my first and foremost mission in life, to lead my wife to Jesus daily. God has blessed us with two boys, Hudson and Calvin, five and nine. Love them, little twerps. They think they're pretty tough, and I don't have permission by God to show them how, how not tough they are yet. Uh, but... God has called Hallie and I to lead them to Christ. You know, they come to church on Sundays, and we have a fantastic kids' ministry, some volunteers even in this room, and you do a great job of loving and teaching my boys about Jesus. And they come on Wednesday nights, and I love how much scripture they've learned through the Awana program. But listen, volunteers, it is not first and foremost your mission to lead my boys to Christ. It's mine and Hallie's. The mission starts there. Now, your mission may be to your parents, when I first became a Christian, uh, my mom wasn't a Christian. My first mission was to lead my mom to Christ. Your mission may be to your siblings, but God has first and foremost called you to live this mission in your own home. Second to that, we'll say work slash school, because I know we don't all work, we don't all go to school, but we all do one of those two things, or most of us do, right? And when you step into a work or school environment, you're automatically stepping into an environment, right, where they're are Christians and non-Christians. And you're forced to spend time to interact with uh, you know, people who may not believe like you. What a fantastic mission field God has given you there. 
this great platform to, be be- to, to take the gospel message with beautiful feet to those who don't know Jesus. That's part of your mission. Did you know that? Your home, your work, your school. Uh, the next one's kind of tough in our day and time. That's your neighborhood. Uh, so things significantly shifted uh, in the late 20th century uh, when we started putting, back por- or putting the big porch on the back of the house and throwing up the privacy fence. I know for you guys that seems normal, but when I was a kid, we had chain link fences that divided the yards. I can remember one house on our whole block that had a privacy fence, uh, and so we would have to climb up in a tree to see what was happening in Jesse Patterson's backyard. Right, but for everybody else, you could just look through, and you could see your neighbor was there. You'd walk over to the fence, you'd talk to him. You remember um, Home Improvement um, when that television show came out, and the neighbor. Right? He's always just kind of right here, peering over the fence. That was funny because that was happening in real time in our culture. Right? Before that, it was chain link fences, and, and everybody had big front porches, and we hung out with our neighbors. We knew our neighbors. We lived life with our neighbors. But now, in a commuter day and time, a place where we throw up privacy fences, we've got to be more intentional, right? I was joking about that with somebody after the first service, and he was saying, like, I can hear my neighbors in the backyard. I just can't see them, so it's kind of awkward, you know, interacting with them. I said, man, just take a skill saw and just cut a hole in that privacy fence so you can see through and talk. So we're going to have to be more intentional if we're going to live the mission in our own neighborhoods, right? But here's the thing, like a fresh batch of chocolate chip cookies still works. I've never, ever heard of anybody knocking on a door with a fresh batch of chocolate chip cookies and got the door slammed in their face and told to go home, right? I mean, there are things you can do to practically engage your neighbors and invest in them and build relationships with them in order to lead them to Christ. So we're just going down a list, right? These are all areas of life that we all operate in. Family, work, school, neighborhood. Ultimately, our mission field is this world. Whether you're called to go or you're called to stay in Christ, you are called to live the mission in your everyday life. What's the mission? To, be, to have beautiful feet. Beautiful feet are those who take the good news of Christ to those who never heard it. That's your mission. God has said, hey, I am am impacting eternity for people here on this earth. And here's how I want to do it. I want to use you. Not me. I don't know enough. Yes. You're the perfect candidate. Because in the end, what happens? I get the glory. You don't. I'm simply inviting you to come participate in what I am already doing. That's big time. There's not a career path you guys could choose that is more exciting or glorious than that. Right, adults? There's not anything, adults, we could give our lives to or sacrifice more that matters more than that. Never heard of anybody on their deathbed saying, I wish I'd have worked harder. I wish I would have, right? What do they say? I wish I'd have spent more time on the things that actually matter in life. I want to end here today, and and, and hopefully what this will do will set us up now to move forward in the book of Acts, understand that every missionary journey, right, is built upon the platform of the local church. Local churches, Solid Rock Church, is to be a, a launching pad of missionaries. And I'm not talking about when we send wrath buns to the Philippines. I'm talking about every Sunday morning is a launching pad for every person who is a believer 
to step back into this world and live the mission of Christ. So I want to pray for us now as a church, and I want to give you a chance to pray individually before I pray out loud. And as our worship team comes back up, maybe you would just take a moment to think about um, what this means for your life. Maybe you already know your journey is going to be like Paul and Barnabas. You're going to be traveling. You're going to be heading out. That's fantastic. God still calls people to move to the ends of the earth. Ask the Rathbuns. Ask the Brace. Or maybe you realize, you know what? I've just been taken for granted. The relationships in my life, the spheres of influence in my life, I've just been taken for granted everything around me, and I realize today I need to engage, right, the people in my life and live this mission out where I already am. And so I'm going to ask you just to pray now and maybe just begin in your own heart asking, God, show me my mission. God, show me my mission. As you begin to think about the faces and the names of people that God has placed in your life, I encourage you just to begin to pray for those folks and to begin to pray that God would open up their heart and that God would give you the opportunity, the platform just to speak the good news of Jesus into their life. continue to pray, I just want to also stop and take a moment. If you're here today and you have not come to that place where you have trusted in Jesus, you said to him, I believe, I believe that you died for my sins and I believe that you rose from the grave. I believe that. I believe that you can forgive me of my sins and wash away all the, the hurt, mistakes of my past. I want you to know you can make that decision today. In just a moment when we stand to sing uh, during these next two songs, we're gonna have um, some folks at the back of the room. We call them our prayer partners and they're here to talk with you and pray with you. And so if that's you and you wanna become a Christian today, I'm just gonna encourage you while we stand to sing just to slip out. Nobody's gonna make fun of you. Nobody's gonna think um, anything bad of you. Just slip out and make your way to the back of the room. Grab one of our prayer partners. Say, hey, I want to, would you pray for me? Or, hey, I want to become a Christian. Or, hey, I've got some questions. And they'd be honored to talk with you and pray with you this morning. Father, thank you for reminding us today that our lives matter. God, that you have chosen to carry out your eternal plans through people like us. God, so many of us are, are consumed with living for ourselves. We just need to say that out loud, God. We've been selfish. God, today, could it be a turning of, of, from living our own mission to living your mission, God? Can we begin to see each day differently now? believing that you actually prepare good works in advance for us, God, that we would walk in them. So God, now we turn over this time to you. We ask for your spirit to move, not just in this room, but in our hearts, stir in us the passions and the yearning and speak to us. God, meet us where we are. We pray in Jesus' name.